Welcome to the Sunday Message Podcast of Bethany Church in Fresno, California. We hope this message will encourage and equip you as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. If today's message helps you, share it with a friend. If you would like to know more about the ministry of Bethany Church, please reach out on Facebook or at BethanyChurchFresno.com. And now, here's this week's message. We're going to continue in our message series today. We're calling this Good News Now. We're in the books of Luke and Acts, which are a two-part series of books in the New Testament. And uh, we're going to be in, you know, you saw the video that covered Acts 8 through 12. And today we're just going to zero in on Acts 10, which is just a great, great story. And uh, he mentioned in there Caesarea, and, and I want to show you a couple of pictures of where this takes place, because it's important to understand. Peter is going to share the gospel with a guy named Cornelius, who's, uh, who's a, um, a, 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 you know, an officer in the Roman army, and, and he's stationed in Caesarea. Caesarea, called actually Caesarea Maritima, was a, was a key city in the empire at that time. What would happen is um, different sort of vassal kings or leaders in different regions would build a tribute city, city to the Caesar. So that's why it's called Caesarea. You have Caesarea on the coast up north. You have Caesarea Philippi because it was built by Philip. Uh, there's a there's a place in Turkey today. This the city is called Kayseri, but it comes from Caesarea. Same thing. So I've got a couple pictures here. If you were to go to Israel today, you're for sure they're for sure going to take you to Caesarea. It's right on the coast. It's stunning. It was uh, it was kind of an it wasn't the best port, but Herod built it into a great port. Herod was the one who figured out how to do underwater cement. He was vastly ahead of his time and built all these piers underground. You see off in the distance that kind of square building. That was a massive uh, lighthouse that had, you know, fire burning all the time to, to guide people in. Uh, what else do we have here, uh, Dexter? There's a, they had a theater there. Uh, what else? We got... Um, this is part of a part of what you call the circus, you know, like if you if you saw Ben Hur, like where they raced the chariots, they they had a, a circus there. Uh, they would have had um, they brought water in. They had three different ways to bring water in. This is a, an aqueduct. It runs about seven kilometers into the city. Uh, enough water to supply fifty thousand people in like what would be the equivalent of today, a 50,000-person city. It was, it was incredibly good. And the point was you wanted to create a city where the emperor could come, the, the Caesar could come and feel at home, feel like he's in Rome. So it's a tribute city uh, to the Caesar, and it, it was so it would have had all the Roman baths, it would have had everything. And it became that regional capital. And so when the gospel comes, when the gospel crosses the barrier from 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 the Jewish community in Jerusalem, it moves into Samaria, and now in chapter eight, verse chapter ten, it's moving across boundaries into Gentile territory and comes to a key key city. Very very important for us to understand that God uses existing networks, uh, roadways, communication systems to establish the gospel, and so that's Caesarea for you. And I'm just going to pick up part of the story. What's happened is, as you saw in the video, the Apostle Peter has a vi- has a vision of this. He, he's, he's taking a nap, actually, which is apparently a godly thing to do once in a while. He's taking an afternoon nap and this sees this vision of this sheet coming down from heaven. It's got all these non-kosher animals on it and the voice says, eat these. And he's like, no, I can't do it. But it becomes a message for him that God is changing what 
the definitions of, of clean and unclean in terms of, of people. And so at the same time, Cornelius, this guy in Caesarea, has a vision from God and, and, and God tells him, go get this guy named Peter down in Joppa. Joppa is what would today be kind of greater, just outside of Tel Aviv or part of Tel Aviv. Uh, if you're a tourist there, you're going to go to old city Jaffa. That's Joppa uh, at the time. If you remember the story of Jonah, remember they sailed from Joppa uh, off. So, you know, that's been a port for a long, long, long time. And uh, and so Peter goes, you know, these guys come say, hey, we want to hear the gospel. Peter goes to these Gentiles and uh, encounters this opportunity to share the gospel with this with this um, Roman centurion. Um, his name's Cornelius. And verse 2 of chapter 10 says he was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. So that's been established, his good character. Jump with me to verse 30. Verse 30 of Acts chapter 10. Cornelius says to Peter, Four days ago I was praying in my house about this time at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and suddenly a man in dazzling clothes was standing in front of me. Friends, I'm telling you, People in that region are sharing that same testimony. We just heard it from a friend this last week. Exact same thing. A man in dazzling clothes comes to them and gives them a message. Um, Verse 31. He told me, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your gifts to the poor have been noticed by God. Now send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He's staying at the home of Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. So I sent for you at once and it was good of you to come. And now we're all here waiting for before God to hear the message the Lord has given you. In verse 34, Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism in every nation. He accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And you know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after John began preaching his message of baptism. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Verse 39. And we apostles are witnesses of all he did throughout Judea and Jerusalem. And they put him to death by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him to life on the third day. Then God allowed him to appear, not to the general public, but to us whom God had chosen to in advance to be his witnesses. We were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Verse 42, and he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all, the living and the dead. He is the one all the prophets testified about saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. In verse 40, verse 44, I'll just add this. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who were listening to the message. That's just an amazing story. We just thank the Lord for his, his word this morning. And so you've got this situation. You've got these good Jews who are now Christ followers, believers in Jesus, Jesus, their Messiah. Then you've got Gentiles. And in that time, the understanding, you have Jews that are located all through the empire. That's why Paul goes to these different cities later and there's synagogues and these, cause there's Jews that have relocated. They've scattered. It's called the diaspora and, and they're, and they're in these different locations. But the idea was you're, you're Jewish, you're ethnically Jewish, or you can convert to Judaism, be called a proselyte, or you can just be sort of 
a follower of the religion, like a fan of the religion and be a God fearer. So you're really not converted to Judaism, but you're a God fearer. You, you pray, you give to the poor, you, you know, you're kind of honoring, you're supportive, you're not anti-Semitic, you know, like, and that's what Cornelius was. He was a God-fearer. So it wasn't a convert, convert to Judaism, but he was a God-fearing man. And we're told that he prayed and he gave gifts to the poor and God heard him and responded to him. I would say this, Cornelius was a good guy. Cornelius was a good guy. He was generous. He was faithful. He was God-fearing, but he wasn't saved yet. He had not yet received righteousness from God through faith in Jesus. He still needed forgiveness of sin and eternal life. So Cornelius illustrates a very simple uh, but enduring And I would say overlooked truth. And it's this. If you're taking notes this morning, you can write this down. Good people need the gospel too. Good people need the gospel too. Uh, You know, we're always told about how, you know, folks have left the church. And so the number of atheists and agnostics is just growing and growing. And and I get that. But most people that you know, most people in your circle, uh, even if they're not a believer in Jesus, would probably, they say, probably say, I believe in God or I believe in some kind of higher something. Uh, Intuitively, they know there's something more there. But just believing in God does not make you a Christian any more than appreciating music makes you a musician. It's not enough just to believe in God. And we sometimes look at the person that has maybe major life struggles or you know, their sin issues are really big and their life's a mess. And we just, you know, we look at them and we say, man, she needs Jesus. She needs Jesus. You know, it's kind of obvious to us. But what about that coworker or that family member who, you know, they show up on time, they pay their taxes, they're helpful, you know, they're, they're, they're just getting along with everyone. What about them? Does that person need Jesus? Yes. She needs Jesus too. Uh, whether our sin issues are obvious or whether they're kind of hidden, the need for reconciliation with God is universal. Every person needs to be made right with God to enjoy eternal life. There's no way, as we talked about already, no way to be made right with God, right to be forgiven of our sin, except by faith in Christ Jesus alone. And so, yes, you've got Cornelius. He's a good guy. He's a good guy. God notices him. God notices his effort at being a good guy. And he's sincere. But sincerity is not enough. Sincerity is not enough. He needed the gospel, the good news. There's a verse in Jeremiah 29. You love Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. But there's a verse, two, two verses later, that I think is even more powerful for us. If you look for me wholeheartedly, God says, you will find me. Or another translation says, if you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, Jeremiah 29, 13, right? That's the principle that God is willing to save anyone, but everyone. Good people need Jesus, just like the rest of us. Now, this is not a slam dunk opportunity 
uh, for Peter. It's a real stretch for him. Is he going to leave the comfort of his Jewish enclave and cross into the Gentile world, right? God's got given him this vision of these non-kosher animals to break that barrier. But even still, Peter's got to act on it, right? It's not enough for Peter to agree theoretically, yes, Gentiles can be saved. Yes, someone should go to the Gentiles and, and reach them. Yes, someone ought to do that, right? That's in theory, but it was a test to his heart. Is he going to go? Peter had to personally go on mission. And I would say it's this way. If you're writing this down, or if you're taking notes, write this one down. You got to go to grow. You got to go to grow. It's not enough just to say, yeah, yeah, I believe that. I believe everybody needs the gospel. It's, it's in the going that Peter really discovers this truth. Because... Look, you and I, I don't think any of us will ever really fully grasp the enormity of this moment when, you know, culturally speaking, when a faithful Jew crosses into a Gentile home. That was forbidden. And not only that, but to now treat him as an equal before God. I mean, it's one thing to say, okay, I'll lower myself and go to your home, but to say, you are, you have equal access to God? That's incredibly that's a huge shift for, for Peter and, and for us to understand that, you know, everyone has access in that way. Peter steps out in obedience and in the process of going, I don't think Peter fully grasped what was happening until he got there. He was growing in the going. And I, I'm sure this has happened uh, to, you know, to you in some way. For example, show of hands. How many of you believe that, you know, good diet and exercise is a good, healthy idea for your life? All right. By show of hands. Right? I'm going to out the good people right now. How many of you are are pretty good at good diet and exercise? Look at us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My hand's down. My wife's good about keeping me accountable on that. Right? Isn't that crazy? Like those of you who are winning at good diet and exercise... You learned something very important. At some point, you realized it wasn't enough to just believe it was a good idea. You actually had to do that. You actually had to get into the the process, go to the gym or whatever. You have to go to grow. And it's not until we step out in obedience to God that, that God, you know, that we really begin to flourish. There's something about actively saying, yes, Lord, I will do that. And it's in that process that God begins to light, open things up. It begins to, those seeds that are planted begin to grow and flourish in your life. And you're like, wow, I'm doing things I never thought I would do. Why? Because it's in, it's in the, the going that you're growing. So I, I just, I just think that's amazing. Verse 28 records that after entering the house, Peter told them, you know, it's against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a gentle home like this. Or to associate with you. But God has shown me I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. And by the verse 34, Peter finally gets it. Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. Peter understood for himself only by walking in obedience to the mission. Now, what is meant by God shows no favoritism? Favoritism about what? We're talking about salvation. Can somebody be saved? God can save 
anyone. But here's the, here's the caution. Here's where people kind of sometimes jump too far on this. It does not mean that everyone is saved or that God will save everyone. It means that everyone can be saved. God is, in fact, willing to save. God, in fact, desires to save everyone. It's God's will that everyone be saved, but it, it, there is not kind of a universal salvation. Everybody gets scooped up in the end, and there we are. God's not going to save people who are not interested in Him. God's not going to save people who don't want to be in His presence. God's not going to save people who are rejecting Him now. I mean, that would not be a loving thing to say, oh yeah, you don't like me? Well, I'm going to drag you and make you like me anyway. God doesn't function that way. God saves those who desire to, to be saved. And the method is the same no matter who we are. Repent and believe. So regardless of your skin color, regardless of your language or ethnicity, right? If you're straight or if you're gay, if you're male or if you're female, if you're old or if you're young, the, the, the way to salvation is the same. Repent and believe. Leave your life of sin and come follow me is what Jesus calls us to. God can save everyone. But that doesn't mean to say everyone will be saved. It's the, it's this personal decision to turn. You know, we teach it to the kids. I teach it on Sunday mornings. ABC, admit that I'm a sinner and I need saving. To believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He died for my sin. And see, to commit my life to follow Him all my days. And the amazing thing is God says, yeah, I see what you've done. I've seen what you've been into. I, I know what you're about, but you can come. You can come. You can come. That's the remarkable thing about the gospel. No one can be disqualified. And so you've got Cornelius' story, right? That even good people need Jesus. You've got Peter's story that he's learning that the, the, the gospel is completely unbiased. But what are the lessons for us? What's your and my story going to be? Two things I want to share with you. One is that we're reminded that we have an instinctive need for peace. You have an instinctive, you have a gut need for peace in your life. And I, I, I'm not sure people think about it in this way, but every honest person is going to tell you that they need inner peace. They're looking for it in some way. Some seek it through religion. Some some go to Eastern practices like yoga. Some say, oh, if I just earn enough money, then I'll be at peace, right? Some pursue it through relationships or sports or whatever activity. And without realizing it, I think it's not even a conscious thing, but they're seeking peace and salvation for their life. They're seeking wholeness and some kind of satisfaction. On a, on a, on a recent uh, trip, our recent trip overseas, um, Becky and I met this young man who had come to faith in Christ out of a Muslim background, out of a Muslim home. And, and, and I asked him, like, how did you get saved in that way? He said, well, my grandmother always told me you need to have your sins forgiven. But she couldn't tell him how that would happen. She just knew you have to have your sins forgiven. He said, well, what does that mean? How do I get my sins forgiven? And he, he also told me, he said, a good Muslim knows that you read the Quran and you read the Torah, which is the, the books of the law, the Old Testament, and you read the prophets, which is the Old Testament, and you read the Injil, which is the New Testament. He said, we're not supposed to believe those three. We're only supposed to believe the Quran, but we're supposed to read them all. Well, I read those and I discovered that Jesus has made a way for my sins to be forgiven. Friends, this is why getting the Bible into people's hands is so important. It's so powerful. And he came to Christ. 
He gave, surrendered his life to Jesus, received forgiveness, found new life in Christ. His grandmother and his family was much chagrined by this. They were not happy about this. He's like, well, grandma, you got me started. All right. But God met him in that place. And he discovered that truth that he could be forgiven and he could be at peace with God by his faith in Jesus. And so he gave his life to Christ and, 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 you know, he's walking with Jesus today. So let me take you back. Here we are in Caesarea and Peter gets right to the point. Verse 36. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. There is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. My question for you is this. Are you at peace with God? Are you at peace with God? I think you'll know it or not. At a heart level, are you at peace with God? I've had some amazing conversations lately with folks. This All that's going on in our world has really gotten people thinking. And I've heard everything from... I don't believe God cares to, I could not get through a single day without, without the Lord and, and, and everything in between. And I would say the experience of peace with God is not a product that you somehow purchase, say, by being in church each Sunday, right? You, you don't, you know, God doesn't owe you something because you own a Bible and you open it once in a while. God doesn't owe you anything, right? Peace with God is a result of a surrender to God by your faith in Christ. That's why we, why we keep talking about this. And it's it's an ongoing yielding. It's an ongoing surrender. It's not just a one-time event, but it's I would say it's an, even a daily practice. And just like everyone around you, you need to be at peace with God. Now, the sermon that Luke records here in, in Acts chapter 10 is just a summary of what Peter would have shared we know from elsewhere that Peter kind of preached, he liked to preach a good long message. Um, we learned that in Acts chapter 2, but um, but it's packed. Even what we have is packed with truth, including what, what we're given in verse 42, where we're told that G- Peter's saying, he says that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all, the living and the dead. Jesus is going to judge every one of us. And, and the ultimate reason you need to be at peace with God is because there is a day of judgment coming. There's a day that we're going to face the judge, Jesus. But the good news is that there is peace when you know the judge. Everybody needs peace, but there's peace when you know the judge. I remember this was a, several years ago. I was attending court with a friend and um, I actually, I'm not even 100% sure who I was helping that day and um i don't remember what he was up for because what happened in the court sort of lodged in my memory it was a young guy whose case was being heard before my friends and he was up for his third dui he was in his early 20s facing his third dui and you know i'm thinking man this kid's going to prison this kid's in trouble and before the judge heard the case the judge and the attorney are chatting it up about the weekend and how, you know, how you're doing and how your kids. And I'm like, well, I think this is going to go better for the kid than maybe he's expecting. And, you know, and he didn't look all that worried. And sure enough, and while I don't remember all the details, 
I know that he got out of there with much less of a punishment than I would say he deserved. He was at peace, or at least his attorney was at peace, because he knew the judge. Now, I'm not accusing judges of being partial, but I'm just saying we're human, and it's impossible to to not, at least as an outside observer, think, I think something happened there because somebody knew the judge. And there... And I'm not saying you can just buddy up to God and get away with stuff. That's not my point. Uh, You know, when you know, however, that your sins are covered by the blood of Jesus, that you're in a personal relationship with him, you can be at peace about how judgment day is going to go. You don't have to see her thinking, man, I hope I'm going to be okay. Like, is it going to be all right on judgment day? Well, you can be at peace when you know the judge because your sins are forgiven and covered over because there is a day to face the judge. You can't read very far in Scripture without coming face to face with the truth that every person, from presidents to paupers, every person will stand before God one day and we will have to give an account one day. And some of you feel like this is unjust and that's unjust and I'm telling you, don't worry. A day is coming of reconciliation before God. And my account to God will be, I'm righteous because I trusted the blood of Jesus Christ to forgive and cover over all my sin and make me right. Being at peace is a powerful way to live. It's not an arrogant or proud way to live. It's not selfish. It's not narcissistic. It's powerful. Because when you're at peace with God, you find it easier to be at peace with other people. And and when you have someone who does not want to be at peace with you, It doesn't tear you up because you don't need their approval to be right with God. It's very, very powerful. What's, you know, what's happening is that your peace with God means you're not desperate for people's, you know, acceptance of you. My question is, do you know the judge? Do you know the judge? Are you at peace with God? Remember that even good people need the gospel. And the, the depth of your walk or the truth of your walk or the revelation of your life is dependent on your obedience. If God's prompting you to go, go, do, act, give, serve, whatever it is that God's dealing with you. And as you grow, as you go, you will, you will grow. As we continue, there's, uh, there's gonna be a big shift next week in the gospel. I mean, the, in the book of Acts. As, as we now have seen that the gospel spread all the way up to that city of Antioch and it's beginning to spread. People have gone on their own, but there's going to be a big shift next week when the Holy Spirit is going to send out some workers to go even further with the good news. And that's where Paul begins his missionary journey. So we'll pick that up next week. Would you stand together as we bow in a word of prayer? If there's something stirring in your heart today where you say, I, I, it's finally time that I make things right. Maybe it's making right things right with God. Maybe there's something to be made right with another person in your life. They may or may not be here. They may or may not even be alive, but you need to make something right because you're not at peace. And I'm just telling you, God loves to see reconciliation. And He's inviting you first to trust in Him and then to make things right with others. As he prompts that, he's prompting you to go, to do, to serve, to give, 
as you're obedient, he's going to grow things in your heart and in your life. So let's pray. God, um, I just thank you for the lesson that Peter learned that you're not a racist, God. You love every person. You created every person. And your desire is every is that, that every person would be saved and come to knowledge of the truth. But God, you're also kind enough to let us make our own decision. You're not going to twist anyone's arm. You're not going to force us into it. And so God, wherever we're at today, whatever we're struggling with, whether it's a insecurity, whether it's doubt, whether it's sin, whether it's pain and woundedness and brokenness, Lord, whatever each person is dealing with today, God, I pray that you would give us that courage to respond to you in obedience, in faith, and in trust, and to receive that righteousness that you promise from you. Lord, we thank you for the ways that you're preparing us, even right in this moment, for the things that we're going to deal with this in this coming week. So Lord, give us eyes open to see you at work and a readiness uh, to respond to you. We thank you for your great, great love for us and all the good things you're accomplishing. We love you in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. Know that God loves you more than you can imagine. And for everything Bethany Church, check out BethanyChurchFresno.com.